you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey there, I'm Oliver Banks, your host, and welcome to episode 68 of the Retail Transformation Show. In the world of retail transformation, we're often talking about customer experiences and optimizing the shopping trip, right? And it is right, we should be talking about that. Now, depending on which category we're looking at, we're looking at a a, a set of levers to be able to optimize that shopping trip. And in the world of retail transformation, we're looking at how we can adjust and change and optimize all of these levers to give a better experience, a better shopping trip. So in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome two real experts in being able to optimize the shopping trip and optimize that all-important experience. So today, I'm really delighted to be able to introduce you to the co-founders of a company called Uncrowd, that is Richard Hammond and Rocky Howard. Richard Hammond is the CEO of Uncrowd, and you may remember him from episode 14 if you've been listening to this podcast for a little while now. Richard's been in the industry for a number of years. He's highly experienced, and he's the author of a book called Smart Retail, which is in its fourth version right now. And his newest book is called Friction Reward, Be Your Customer's First Choice. And that's very closely linked to what we're going to be talking about today. Meanwhile, Rocky Howard is the CTO. So he is the the brains, which you'll hear in the the show. He is the brains behind the amazing work that Uncrowd are doing right now. So my conversation with Richard and Rocky is a two-part conversation. So we've got this part in episode 68, and we'll continue the conversation next week in episode 69. Show notes from today's episode are at obandco.uk slash 68. But before we get into this one, a quick reminder about Retail Week Live. I'm a media partner for this event, which is happening on the 25th and 26th of March in London in the UK. And it's a real coming together of great minds, great speakers and great opportunities. I'm going to be there and I hope that you are going too. There is some fantastic stuff going on. You can check it all out, live.retail-week.com. And let me know if you are going. It would be great to catch up and talk to you about the world of retail and the world of retail transformation. And if you've not yet bought a ticket, then do remember to use the special discount code as a listener of the Retail Transformation Show so you can save yourself 15% straight off that ticket price using the discount code RTS15. Go and check it out, live.retail-week.com. And if you're new to the show, then do remember to hit subscribe and you can make sure that you come back for part two of this conversation with Richard Hammond and Rocky Howard. Here we go. So today on the Retail Transformation Show, I'm delighted to welcome Richard Hammond and Rocky Howard, the founders of Uncrowd. Richard, Rocky, welcome to the show. Hi, Oliver. Hi, yeah. Now, you guys have been kicking up a storm with Uncrowd and I'm really excited to be diving into all of this. Richard, your CEO, Rocky, your CTO, 
Can we just say a quick hello? So we get familiar with your voices. Don't want people getting confused. <laughs> so this this is Richard. Um, I'm the, the the better of the two founders. <laughs> Self-proclaimed. And I, my name is Rocky, uh, real name, and I'm the uh, the techie guy that actually gets stuff done. I see. So there we go. The the better and the the guy that gets stuff done. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so I want to, um, I guess, start off with taking a bit of a broader look at the world of retail and what's going on right now. It's obviously pretty challenging. What what do you think is is happening in the industry right now, guys? Yeah, so I'll tackle that if I can. Before we, we started Uncrowd, I'd, I've been commenting on and writing about retail for, for nearly 18 years. I'm the author of various retail how-tos. And what I would say is that over that 18 years of observation, it's not a, a, a kind of an exaggeration to say that this is the most turbulent time that I've seen in retail over that period. But it's also the most exciting. It's the one with the most opportunity in it. And what we're seeing is a kind of a, a carving away of those retailers that are understanding and seeing this as a time to change, become more customer centered, to become more relevant, more engaging. Those retailers are doing great, exciting things to transform their businesses. And you talk about this a lot in the podcast series and in your own work. On the other side of, of the knife, if you like, there are retailers who, for whatever sets of reasons, are not changing and are either putting their head in the sand or, in worst cases, are hamstrung by not having the tools they need to be able to understand how to make those transformations. And we're seeing a combination of all three of those, the, the, the lucky group who have all the skills, all the resources, and all the uh, tools they need to be able to, to make those changes, and the next group who are, who are struggling. Mm. And what that's done is that's created a, a bit of a narrative around this idea of, of retail being in some sort of crisis. It's not. That's, that's nonsensical. It's absurd to think that retail's in crisis. Customers are spending more money than they ever have done in, in all of, of history. The money is being spent. Online retail, offline retail, uh, leisure, anywhere where a customer can engage with, with one of us, the money's being spent. Yeah, absolutely. But because... It's also a time when lots of people are failing to capture that uh, pound and dollar. The, the headline looks, looks grim, looks scary. And, and also because there's a, a rebalancing, a lot of the businesses that are struggling, a lot of the retailers that are going are, of course, because there are more of them and they are longer established, are bricks and mortar businesses. So it looks very obvious when you see scars on the high street, when you see gaps, it, it, it looks like it's old retail that's 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 dying, but sure. the truth is, a million miles away from that. It's a brilliant time to be a retailer right now. Yeah, it's interesting that visualization of the industry. You've got closing down stores, shut up, boarded up shops, etc., which people see obviously, but then they don't see the Amazon warehouse, the the Boohoo warehouse, all of that element, which is absolutely where retail is happening much more nowadays than obviously. 20 years ago when it just didn't happen at all really and I think that's a really interesting point that almost encourages the press and the public to think that the world of retail is in a tougher spot than it is. I also really like the point about burying heads in the sand. I heard the term the other day I can't remember who it is so if this was your term then uh, do claim it on social media it's not mine. <laughs> Ostrich retailers who have their heads in the sand I thought that was a, a nice little phrase. <laughs> 
Yeah, we've, we've all seen it. I, I've, I've been a retailer now for 35 years. Um, I started in 1985 and all the way through my career, just like every other retailer I, I talk to, we've all seen situations where the answers have, have looked very clear and the problems have looked very clear. But sometimes when you're that close to a problem, you just can't see it. And it's in, in an ideal world, consultancy shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be needed. The experts should all be those people who have the, the challenges in their hands. But that's not how the human mind works. That's not how innovation works. Often you have to step away from a thing mm. to be able to see it properly, to be able to then tackle it. And that's you know, that's why customer analytics are so critical and, and frankly have been so lacking. But we'll talk about that later on, I'm sure. I really feel for, for retailers that, that are in a situation where they're overwhelmed by the challenge in front of them and can't see a way around it. And, you know, that's kind of what our side of the, the industry exists to do is to provide some clarity and some distance and some relief from those things. And it's always a delight to me when you read a case study, either your own or somebody else's, where a, a senior retail team has been able to look at things afresh and transform and change things successfully. That's a, And there's plenty of, of, of examples of that. I mean, talking about current retail just take a look at walmart walmart is a business that 15 years ago was incredibly old-fashioned creaking at the seams being beaten left right and center by all manner of new nimble competitors that looked like it had no chance to survive against amazon and that instead changed its philosophy and has come through as, as a an innovator as a leader again uh, walmart is a brilliant business to be around at the moment they are doing things which are so customer focused so engaged and they're doing it by being open and honest and allowing transformation to, to happen it's it's there you know absolutely i think that's a great case study it is absolutely possible i believe for any retailer to be able to transform and turn things around and that's why I get up every day to help make sure that happens. And I'm sure it's the same with you guys as well. Look at Tesco's under Dave Ball, where Tesco's, if we can talk about it and debate this, there have been a run of, of leaders in Tesco's who were retailers through and through to the core, and it wasn't the right experience for the right time. They bring in Dave Lewis from Unilever, and Dave Lewis has created not just a transformation in the business itself, but a culture of transformation throughout the company that's paying dividends. Again, showing how fresh ideas, fresh experience, alternative perspectives, coupled with the muscle of a great data business, allows you to see the picture differently and do different things about it. It's the, Again, two years ago, we were, as an industry, we were looking at Tesco's and worrying, weren't we? We were close to writing them off as a leader, and they are back on top again. They really are. It's interesting that both Tesco and Walmart Kings and queens, so to speak, arguably wobbled and then they've managed to cement their position back in place. Totally. So I want to zoom in to that that third group as well, who you described them. They didn't have the sort of the tools that they needed to be able to get into, you know, improving their performance and improving their operations. And I'm guessing you're thinking around sort of customer analytics. That's obviously an important part of it. Tell me a bit more about where you guys think that group exists and where they, what they struggle with. So what we found talking to um, various people over the last six months, especially, is that they've all been focusing their previous um, efforts over the last few years on gathering data. So big data was a big buzzword that's been flying around. 
they've now reached a point where they feel like they've got enough or too much in most cases mm. collected data sitting there and they're now getting frustrated to find that the tools they've previously used and the methods they've previously used to look into this data and try and make sense of it have failed them one of the challenges they that you know that they they have is that the frustration of having the data is causing them to to not see and get any value out of all that effort they've made mm. so what you find we're finding that they're doing is that they're they're trying to get old legacy tools to understand and failing they're trying to flip between loads of different unfocused tools to try and connect this data together and in the end it just turns into one big messy spreadsheet that they have no idea what it means so what we're finding is that our approach is to focus purely on the process and the platform that we've built and then take in the amount of data that they have in ways that make sense to them and in, in little chunks that make sense to us. Yeah. This is the big change that, that we've observed, Oliver, is that so we've spent two years of taking our ideas to senior retailers and just asking for opinions and finding out what people think. And as part of those conversations, you find out what tools those guys have been using themselves for analytics. And I'm not going to name names because it's embarrassing in some cases, but you wouldn't believe the tools that some big retailers are using to drive strategic decision making with. And the reason for that is that a lot of, of, of senior retailers and senior insight people are just completely hamstrung, hobbled by the the promise of big data that, that is not necessarily being delivered on so yes you get some really interesting programs running around things like basket analysis for example which is really powerful first time you run it it tells you a lot about customer habits but the second time it doesn't tell you much more the third time sure so it's great for a one-off piece of insight but actually as an ongoing daily weekly monthly quarterly report there's only so much value that you can get from it yeah insight has to be of a, of a type where you can go okay this is the situation now this is the opportunity Try something, test something, remeasure what's changed. Yes, absolutely. Try something else. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. If you don't take action, then that whole insight, it's interesting, intriguing. But ultimately, if you don't take action, it's all useless, in my view. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there are a number of different sort of analytical tools out there, analytical approaches, methodologies. There's data coming left, right and center. And with things like IoT just around the corner, relatively, that could explode it even more. I was talking to Joe Jensen from Intel about how IoT could be used to even gather even more data and be able to optimize the store operation. Tell me about some of the challenges that that current suite of data tools you know, comes up against and methodologies as well. It'd be good to link those two ideas together, first of all. Um, one of the things that we're noticing, and, and we saw it at NRF in, in very big, bright lights, is that there seems to have been a recognition amongst tech vendors, particularly the big guys, the Microsofts, the IBMs, the sales forces, and so on, that they need to be offering solutions that are much more practical and customer-centered than perhaps they were in the past. Mm. So even things like a store full of sensors where you expect a customer then to open up an app to uh, engage with those sensors. Customers just won't do it. They won't do it. They don't care. There's, there's not enough incentive. There's not enough reward on the customer's part for them to bother to do it. There's a, a, a leader at Home Depot um, that we know very well, a guy called Albert Vita, and he's got a great expression for this. He talks about friction debt. Okay. And friction debt is anything that you expect the customer to do over and above 
what they already do, that has to be more than outweighed by the weight of the reward that they get for doing so. So if you look at one of these um, new ideas and, and say, well, okay, is the friction debt high enough that the customer is never going to interact with it? Where we're seeing solutions become really practical, there's a, a company called Service Channel. And Service Channel are doing this brilliant program with Walmart at the moment where Walmart stores have at the moment 2,000 sensors in them that are actually not looking at, at uh, interacting with customers, but are monitoring how well the machinery and the plant, the, the working operation of the store is serving customers. And it's able to do things like work out whether a compressor on a fridge is about to fail and replace that compressor before it gets in the way of right. customer flow and so on. So now, Preemptive action. That starts to become really practical. That starts to, to, to change the way a customer can interact with a store without the customer having to do anything. It's almost like saying that's using Internet of Things, that's using sensors to make the store the best store it can be for the most amount of time. And I really like those kinds of innovations because that doesn't require the customer to do anything, but does mean that we can deliver to the customer that which the customer is most likely to be engaged with for most of the time. It's Back in the old days, you'd often as a consultant be asked to work on a, a project that would often be titled something like Best Store Every Store, yeah. which was the idea that you take your best store and work out how do we then deliver that best store experience across the rest of the estate. And I used to love working on those programs because the solution was always people-led. But we've tried to replace that in, in other areas with, with things that end up just requiring too much of the customer. So I, I felt that was a useful aside. But going back to your original question, and, and Rocky will, will have a, a thought on this as well, everybody we talk to, particularly on the IT side of, of retail businesses, so every CIO, for example, and most CTOs you talk to, as well as the vast majority of CMOs, will tell you that their current suite of customer analytics just isn't isn't cutting it. And what's interesting about that is you'll ask them, okay, on the tech side of things, what are you missing? What do you need more of? This is not us asking, so this is the general question. Mm. And that group of people will say, customer analytics, I need more customer analytics. And they'll say that word more. Now, I've been a retailer long enough to know that when a customer says, I want more of something, what they actually mean is, I want the thing that solves my problem and you're not showing it to me. Yeah. So the call for extra customer analytics is because current customer analytics aren't providing the insight and solution that can actually turn into practical, focused, valuable, transformative change. And that's why we had to exist as Uncrowd. That was long before this was a an idea for a business. I wrote about this in in one of my, my books long before I, I wanted to get involved in a startup because it was so extraordinary to me that we still didn't know, for example, when a customer is likely to choose us instead of somebody else. We didn't have the answer to that most basic of questions. Why has a customer come to our store or clicked on our website or opened our app in preference to that of one of our competitors. That's the basic starting point for being able to build service propositions, to be able to build formats, experiences, to be able to improve what we currently do. Without the answer to that question, we are absolutely driving blind. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You don't think about it like that. But when, when you were last on the show, I remember you're talking about the fact that we don't have loyal customers anymore, but it's all about choice. 
and actually customers choosing to shop with you or not. And I think that's a really important mentality to 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 continue to realize for, for all retailers and frankly, all businesses as well, let's be honest. Yeah, and I mean, that was the big prompt for me to try and work academically on whether or not there was a metric that could start to come to meet this big structural change, which we've seen, which is twofold, that we've always known we've had choice as customers, but our access now to those choices is through the roof. Yeah. Um, safe, easy access to alternatives is the narrative of current retail. And it, it used to be that we could broadly deliver in a groove. We could we could be the retailer that does this and people would come to know that and they would either like it or they wouldn't like it. And, you know, that was our mm. our proposition. But now sitting here right now, if I, if I want steaks for the family dinner on Sunday, I can go to a premium grocer. I can go to a butcher locally. I can go to a discounter. I can order online, offline, or I can have them shipped in from Argentina with zero risk to me. Because somebody has provided that opportunity at the click of a, of a mouse for me or at the touch of a button. Mm. And that's the big difference is customers' ability to choose away from you is greater than it ever has been. So that my point last time we met was, was very straightforward, which is that if, if you even talk about your customers, you're fooling yourself. Customers, there are a group of people who might buy from you and you have to work out what they need from you to be able to decide to buy from you. And that's what we're, we're doing here. Sure. Well, we have this thing called MPS, though, of course, right? Why doesn't that cut the mustard? Yeah, net, net promoter system, because um, you, you get told off for calling it net promoter score. Net promoter system is interesting. I've got a massive amount of respect for its founder, but it's a cult. It's a cult that's grown up because there's a desperation. There's a desperation <laughs> for, some, for some order in this chaos. To give an example of how Net Promoter Score does some terrible things, I, I stayed in a Holiday Inn uh, this last weekend. And Holiday Inn, at this particular location, the way that they used their uh, Net Promoter Score was really interesting. When you walk in, there's a banner on the uh, check-in desk that says, if you give us a naught to 8, that's, it says something like naught to 8, that's our concern. A 9 or a 10 is for you to share with the world. So right from the start, there's a brand gaming the living daylights out of its net promoter score, trying to make you feel bad about clicking anything below a nine. And then if I do click a, a nine or a 10 about Holiday Inn, has that said anything at all about my preference for Holiday Inn? Has that increased or decreased my likelihood to choose Holiday Inn again in a future situation? Absolutely not. So it ends up as a bit of a proverbial pat on the back of, well done, we've done really well. We've everyone scored a nine or a 10, happy days. Yeah. But actually, you've encouraged people and you're, you're completely hiding from the truth. So you could have had a rubbish day, but yeah. you're sitting in front of, you're standing in front of, you know, a member of staff. Yeah. You don't want to click zero to eight. So you oh, just click nine, no, no hassles and just walk on. Well, again, it's human beings in front of you. You don't want to do down the human beings that are part of that transaction because that's, that's a human connection. But mm. away from that moment in time, sitting in front of hotels.com or booking.com, has that increased or decreased my likelihood to choose Holiday Inn again? No, of course it hasn't. Of course it hasn't. Not one bit. A, a whole bunch of other variables uh, are the things that do that. How easy was it for me to uh, stay in that hotel? What did I get 
as a result of staying in that hotel, uh, the surrounding area, you know, all these things add up. A positive run of net promoter scores as given by a customer might contribute to my likelihood to trust Holiday Inn in the future, but that's just one variable amongst 50 or 60 that are active in, in my decision-making process. The one thing that promoter score does do very well is it does definitely tell you whether you're doing things really badly or not. If you're getting threes, then you know there's a fire. You definitely know something's on fire. Yep. But even then, you don't know what's on fire. You don't know where the fire is. What Net Promoter Score does is it says, hey, guys, there's a fire, but I'm going home now. <laughs> Good luck in finding it, yeah. And is it is it one big fire or is it lots of little fires or yeah yeah you know or is it in, is it really on fire at all is it just one you know it's but the two thirds of Fortune five hundred companies use Net Promoter system most retail chief execs are in part bonused on their Net Promoter score and that's created a desperation to throw everything at the customer experience to try and pull that number up a little bit. And so you end up overspending for a start. You spend on things which don't make a difference to the customer's likelihood to choose you or choose somebody else. You spend, you miss other things, other things that don't look obvious. And we see this all the time when we run this analysis that you find that there are perhaps slightly hidden elements that become really important to certain types of customers in certain types of situations. Yeah. Other things, in, in Net Promoter Score context lists, it doesn't take into account the context of the shopper mission. What was the shopper or the stayer at your hotel? What were they trying to achieve? So, you know, somebody who's come to your hotel because they have an, an issue, which means they can't walk very far and they need to be at the nearest hotel, regardless of, it, of whether it's any good or not. Well, if that person has ticked a five or six or seven and nine or a 10, it tells me nothing about why they chose me and whether they'll choose me again in the future. Mm. And surely customer analytics metrics like that should be about telling me what do i need to do to make a group of people in a given shopper mission who feel this particular way about that particular uh, shop at this time what do i need to do to make them come to me instead of my rivals that's the basic fundamental unanswered question of old generation customer analytics yeah i'm getting heated here rocky aren't I? <laughs> you are you are <laughs> well no this is really great and I, i'm really keen to just rewind to a, a, a couple of words that you used uh, a few minutes ago the friction debt and the reward for for doing that and you also alluded to the potential for a, a, a metric perhaps that could look at how to balance these so what i'd like to do chaps is hit the pause button and come back in the next episode to explore that a little bit more you up for that? Absolutely, Oliver. Delighted to. Fantastic. Well, make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Retail Transformation Show. And we're going to be exploring what friction and reward really means. And if there is a way that you can really optimize that journey using those, those mentalities. So we're going to take a little breather right here in the conversation. So do remember to hit subscribe and come back in the next episode, episode 69, to finish it off, where we'll be exploring a lot more about friction and reward and how you can use those two concepts to really set your operation on fire in a good way, right? If you can't wait till then, then do go and check out more about 
what Richard and Rocky are up to over at uncrowd.uk. It's really worthwhile just to see what is possible. This is going to be a big game changer for the world of retail, I think, and you'll explore that in the next episode. So do remember, hit subscribe and come back or go and visit uncrowd.uk. And I also wanted to quickly remind you that if you've not yet checked out my brand new Retail Project Manager Success Programme, then you absolutely must go and have a little look at that. Project management is really so essential to be able to deliver a transformation. Whether you're looking at optimizing the shopping trip, whether you're looking at saving costs, whether you're looking at introducing new propositions, without applying effective project management techniques, your ideas are going to stay, well, just ideas. But by using simple, lightweight, but very much effective project management techniques, you can learn how you can take those ideas and make sure that you deliver them through into reality so that your transformation does happen. It doesn't come in over budget. It doesn't come in late. Maybe it's right for you or maybe this is right for your team so that everyone can really fire on all cylinders and make sure those ideas do get transformed into changes. Ultimately, that's how your transformation is going to happen. That's how it is going to come to life. So do check it out. It's the Retail Project Manager Success Program. It's on a special launch offer for the month of February 2020. You can find out more at obandco.uk slash project. And all that's left for me to say is have a great week and I will catch you in the next episode, episode 69, to finish off the conversation with Richard and Rocky. See you then. Bye for now.